Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that takes you inside the building. That would be NRG Stadium and this studio. That would be the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm Mark Vandermeer with you, joined tonight by John McClain, my good buddy. We haven't been on the air together for a couple of weeks. We had the draft last week. He was on the pre-draft show with DP, and I've read your stuff. I've heard your stuff, John, and here we go. Let's talk about the weekend that was and what's going to happen in a couple of weeks when the Texans get out there for OTAs. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. Thank you very much for asking. I'm fired up about the rookie minicamp, the OTAs, and just the off-season program when we can come over and watch the players. But, you know, I don't need to see Watt and Hopkins and all those guys. I want to see the new free agents. I want to see the undrafted free agents because we know a couple of them will make the team. And and then I want to see the draft choices. And uh, uh, the one I'm most fired up about, Titus Howard, of course, and I think there's a good chance by the time the first game rolls around, based on how much the Texans like Titus Howard, that he'll be the starter at left tackle. And then if Chantrell Henderson, who's made a really good recovery from his broken ankle, and he's ready to go, and he doesn't need to be nursed like Matt Khalil. I thought he would be. They thought he would be back in February, but he's done so well. When OTA start, there's nothing Chantrell Henderson can't do. And then Khalil's going to be brought along slow. And Max Sharping's started at both tackles and guards, so it wouldn't surprise me if Henderson does well at right tackle if he doesn't initially start off at guard, adding to the competition there with the returning starters and Zach Fulton and Cedio Calamete and then I think Martinez Rankin will compete at left guard and maybe Sharping at right guard. they got a lot of depth. So I want to see those guys. Wait, did we just say that? They have a lot of depth on the O-line. And they do. You're a lot right. Of they've, depth. they've added a lot of bodies here. Have you ever heard them use the word versatility and the word competition? Once or twice. I mean, vaguely I've heard that, yes. They've got it in the offensive line. And eventually, I mean, we know, eventually, doesn't know when, the starters in the offensive line are going to be Titus Howard left tackle, Mike Sharping at right tackle because they were drafted in the first and the second round. And Sharping, let's see, gave up one sack in three years at Northern Illinois. I was looking at a video that was posted by Rivers McCown, one of the guys that covers him, about him knocking down people on three levels. And he's 3.99. I think he's either working on his Masters or he has a Masters. And he can play either tackle or he can play guard. He's 6'6", 327. Howard can play either tackle, but he didn't get drafted to play right. You know, he's going to be a left tackle. And and I can't wait to see those guys in drills eventually against Watt in practice because they're not going to hit each other in practice. They can't wear, they can't wear shoulder pads. But I just want to see when J.J. is rushing, and they're not going full speed. They're using their hands and everything, how he moves his feet. And the one I really want to see, and we can see him a lot because they throw passes and they catch passes, is the tight end Kylie Waring. And I never thought, never considered that the Texans would draft a tight end. Once Darren Fells was signed in free agency, that gave the Texans four tight ends. Mm -hmm. And I know, and you know how much they love Jordan Akins and Jordan Thomas. Those guys ought to be making their biggest improvement this offseason, getting ready for next season. And then uh, I think Kylie Waring is – like a combination of them, he can run like Jordan Aikens. He's big and he's a he's a fierce blocker who wants to be a good blocker. He's six five and a half and he's two fifty two and he ran a four six five. So and he's 
as I tell people, he's like this big old block of clay. And, you know, Will Lawing and Tim Kelly and Bill mm. O'Brien and Mike Devlin, they'll be molding that clay. And it may take him a while to develop, but they've never had a tight end with his size, speed, receiving, and blocking potential. Yeah, potential is a great word there. And, look, you have to reach it. There's no question about it. But with every draft choice they have and a lot of the undrafted free agents and maybe all of them, they feel like they have the psychological profile they're looking for, which I think is hard to identify. But I've done a lot of stuff with Brian Gain this week and interviewed him several times and just talked with him. And they have a system. They have a way of trying to figure that out the best way possible for them to see if a guy is going to fit that profile they're looking for, if he's going to put it all into the game and continue to improve. Because that's what it's all about. They all start at a certain place. Great. They have talent. They have potential. But they've got to elevate their game constantly. It's it's about culture. That's important to Gaynon O'Brien and Cal McNair and Janice McNair. And, Bob, you know, they're not going to be bringing in any guys in here like Tyreek Hill or Kareem Hunt. And Frank Clark, those kind of guys, some teams don't care. They just think you can win with good people and culture. And that's important, guys that fit. Bill's always talking about good teammates. Well, they check. You know, if if a lot of people didn't like the Titus Howard pick, a lot of people thought they would trade up to get Andre Dillard. Well, they could have traded up and get Andre Dillard, and they didn't do it. They were never going to do it. And But – uh, if they didn't like, if people didn't like the Titus Howard pick, that's fine. And it, but it wasn't because they didn't do their homework. They met with him at the combine. They went to his pro day. Met with him at the pro day. Worked him out of school. Brought him in here. And you had all of them watching it every tape. And the game he had against Auburn, I believe, is 85 plays, no pressures, played to run well. And then he got everybody's attention at the Senior Bowl all week. That sent everybody back to the game tape to watch it again. And they fell in love with him. He's six five and a half, two three twenty two, and he ran a five point oh five forty, which is amazing for a guy that big. And and uh, I love it when people say, well, "Yeah, but he went to a small school." I'm saying, "Well, he came in as a tight end. He was a quarterback in high school. What do you expect? Alabama's not going to recruit him at two hundred whatever pounds he was as a tight end. In all likelihood, instead, he went to Alabama State, and look what happened to him. Believe me, if he was coming out of high school three hundred pounds with his his athletic ability, he'd be in the Crimson Tide locker room or one of those schools. There's a lot of guys in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, offensive linemen who came from small schools. One of the reasons you see so many offensive linemen not taken in the first two rounds develop is because of coaching, scheme fit, their work ethic. And one of the things I liked about Howard, and I make a joke about this every year, once O'Brien talks to these rookies when they get in here, all we're going to get is name, rank, and uniform number. Mm -hmm. He was funny. You know, that tweet he had the morning of the draft, you put me in a gorilla in a phone booth, and you better pray for that gorilla. And then the other one was, uh, this was great. His mother disclosed that his nickname is Weenie. Yeah, that is going to be used against and, him. And he was asked by Mark Berman about, he said, well, people don't call me Weenie very much anymore, meaning I'm so big. He <laughs> said, now they call me Hot Link. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I I thought that was so funny. The guy's uh, got a good personality. And does. I remind people who are listening that say, oh, my God, why did they take him? As I tweeted and said on 610 and wrote in the Chronicle, 
It's the exact same reaction in 2008 for Dwayne Brown. He hadn't been projected in first round in mock drafts, and people are like, oh, my God, they reached for this guy. And, you know, when he came in, he rotated with Ephraim Slomson until he was ready to start. Then he was the best offensive lineman in team history. And I also thought it was very interesting, Mark, and I didn't know this till right before the draft. From 2002 to, through 2018, drafted two offensive tackles in the first two rounds, Chester Pitts and Dwayne Brown. On, on Thursday and Friday, they drafted two in the first two rounds, Titus Howard and Max Sharpen. It shows you the need at that particular position group. But as you pointed out, John, it does really change the depth chart. In fact, you could comfortably say who the 10 guys, and I say 10 guys would be on the 53-man roster. If it's only nine, then you have some tough cuts here. But when you look at Titus Howard and at left tackle and you look at maybe Chantrell Henderson at right or Max Sharping if he happens to win the job, then you look at Zach Fulton at guard, Nick Martin at center, and Martinez Rankin didn't go anywhere yeah, after Martin, being a third-round pick. Yeah, and he can move inside to guard or it's Sunil Kilimete still, but maybe Rankin wins the job there. And here's why versatility, and, and you tell me if you think I'm right, here's why versatility excites them. This is why they keep talking about it, because you can only dress seven for game day, really. So it excites them when they have a tackle that can move inside and play guard like Derek Newton could on occasion because guys get hurt during games. This just in, and when you have a guy that you feel like you can plug and play at a guard spot who's a tackle, that's exciting to them. This is the world they live in. You know, when we are at home just digesting the draft on TV, wherever we're watching it, we're not thinking of these things. They're thinking of, I only dress seven on game day. I need options. And if they have options, they feel good about it. Remember a couple of times last year, if another guy had gotten hurt, they would have had to play a tight end at tackle because they were out and because of the mm-hmm. ones you dress. You didn't think – I don't think you said Greg Mance. Greg played center and guard. I wasn't done yet. Calamante's played every position in New Orleans across yeah. the front. So the thing about young guys, to me, you don't move them around. I don't want to hear versatility with sharping and – Howard. They did that with Xavier Sofilo, and it impeded his progress. Well, I think they were looking for a position for him let, more than these guys, right? Let let these well, – I don't know why he was a guard. It should have been well, a guard. Know, maybe. And these guys, their tackles, let them learn tackle before you start moving them. Let them make sure they've adjusted to the NFL. Both don't come from Power 5 conferences, and both of them got the talent to come in here and start at some point. And uh, – it's going to be a lot of fun watching their development, beginning with the rookie minicamp. I think at left tackle, Howard, Khalil, Julian Davenport. I'm not saying who's going to start right now, but I kind of like the sound of that going in because it sounds a lot better than what you went in with last year to some critical games that some of them you won, obviously, and down the stretch you didn't win as many as you wanted to win, but you're still able to move the ball in Philadelphia, obviously. Like, I think they have a lot of options here. It should be interesting. Okay, let, okay. say say that starting tackles are Howard and Henderson, mm-hmm. and that means you've got Davenport, Sharping, and Khalil. Who's suited up on game day? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, who, I think Who's the backup's going to be able to play both well, sides? Well, this is what I always say going into training camp and these kind of debates come up, these kind of scenarios. I always say injuries often solve the problem. They not do. that you want them to, but often they do where somebody might not be available because they're hurt. I think for them, you know, it'd be great if Khalil was able to resurrect his career and become an outstanding tackle, and then you could wait to plug in Howard. But he's not be, a right tackle. He's a left tackle. He's a left tackle. And, you know, Sharping's obviously a right tackle, it seems that but way. But he started both sides. Yeah, so, he, you know, he might surprise some people. You know, people shouldn't be so shocked 
You know, I tend to look at, am I a glass half full guy? Yes. I think we've all established that over the years. However, this is why I am. I tell stories about Bakhtiari in the fourth round in the draft that had Luke Jokel and Eric Fisher one and two, and Bakhtiari ends up being the best tackle of that group. You know, you have things like that happen all the time in the league, so you got to believe in good possibilities. Especially with offensive linemen. I'm the guy who at 0-3 says it's not over. I'm the guy who at 2-5 and 5 says it's not over. Now, at 4 and whatever, it was over <laughs> in 2017. You were the guy that said they're going to beat the calls. <laughs> Wait, what was that? In the playoffs? playoffs. I, you know what? You I, and everybody else. I picked the calls. Everybody else picked the Texans. But I thought it was iffy. My glass is half full. Well, you know I what was maybe, younger, it was half empty. You know what made me really overly optimistic for that one? Not heading into the weekend, but once – Hilton shows up in the clown mask. I thought, we got this. And boy, was I wrong about that. And he had a bad ankle. Boy, was Yeah, but Hopkins was in worse shape. Our injury was worse than theirs. Ha! I I don't know how that makes me feel better at this point. Another pick I really like is Lonnie Johnson, the second-round pick. Yeah. There was no corner in the draft who had the combination of size and speed, 6'2", 213. At the combine, he ran a 4'5'1". That's good. Mm-hmm. That was better than Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker, Joe John, Joe Juan Williams. And then at his pro day, he ran a 4'3'8". Now, he's an outside corner right now. The starters would be Jonathan Joseph, who's going to be 35, and, and uh, Bradley Roby. And the inside guy would be Aaron Colvin. But Johnson, you know, being a second-round pick, it's only a matter of time. He's a tough guy, too. So I would imagine we're going to see him on special teams at first. And then having Xavier Crawford and uh, Brian Body uh, Calhoun. Calhoun. Mm-hmm. And then some of the lesser guys who are back from last year. There's a lot of competition at the two positions they needed it most offensive tackle and corner and that's a good thing that is a good thing all right the general stays with us let's talk about the new safety let's talk about some other things happening around the national football league because it is busy after the draft goes in the books the undrafteds are signed the undrafteds it sounds like a game of thrones group and then otas coming up rookie minicamp next week for the texans it's texans all access John McClain with us Thursday evening, Texans All Access. Great to have you listening. It's always fun to talk Texans, talk NFL football, as it is the most popular sport in the United States of America. But I do love basketball, too, so good luck to the Rockets. I know they're down 0-2, but uh, hang in there see what happens Saturday night. And by the way, NBA, just this memo for you. You're not the NFL. You can't wait between Tuesday and Saturday to play a game. Don't give me any reasons play tonight or friday at the latest please my goodness can we i mean it's a, such a long wait anyway let's you're get so back to negative football. no i'm not i want to see Mr. the rockets negative. play i think your glass I, is half i think it's in their best interest to play your glass is half empty on, on on the league scheduling the I postseason agree with you. games it makes no sense go every other night oh the travel come on they're used to it this is you know they're not playing any back-to-backs this time of year let's go Anyway, let's talk about the new safety for the Houston Texans, Jaleel Adai. We were talking about the secondary, John. How does the former Charger hang in there? He with started this group? every. He's been a regular starter for them. They had Derwin James first round pick last year, and then they used they drafted Nasir Adderley, mm-hmm. and uh, so now they have two safeties the last two years, and he, because he was released. He does not count against the compensatory formula. The Texans are still plus three in compensatory picks for next year. That ends on uh, next week on the 8th. 
the seventh is the last day you've signed a guy who has not been cut, and it counts against the formula. That's why I believe starting on May 8th, you're going to see a lot of free agents signing for around a million dollars. This guy, he played around the line of scrimmage a lot, and uh, he's, uh, based on what I was told by people, the Chargers, he's a great guy. He fits, we were talking earlier about the culture. He's a hard worker. He's a good guy. He's a great teammate. He's 29 years old. Signed a one-year contract, and he's third safety. They needed a third safety since Andre Hall announced his retirement. You get a guy that started every game, including the playoffs for the Chargers. Pretty good team last year, so... I like that signing. I think you needing a third safety. I'm guessing now, even though they spent some money and they like a couple of these undrafted free agent running backs, it won't surprise me if they don't sign another receiver and a another running back after May the 7th when he, they don't count against the formula. So to Sean Gibson, Justin Reed. They're the starters. And then – the new guy's going to battle you got a veteran, behind them. a veteran starter coming in to be the third guy. And, you know, he's not going to come in and get just sacrifice his starting job. He's going to come in to compete to try to win it. But if he doesn't, he'll be the third safety, and they need three safeties. You know, there's a lot of changes, Mark, in the secondary. Yeah. The front seven returns intact. Yeah. So you know they're going to be great against the run again. They gave up 82.7 yards a game rushing. The only time they had a bad game against the Colts. run was the Colts in the playoffs. And oh, so they'll be good again. And like Deshaun Gibson plays tight ends really well. He's good against the run. And uh, Bradley Roby is good against the run. And we know Jay Joe gives everything he's got against the run. And so the run defense would be great, but now – the DBs got torched over the last five games, counting the Colts game. So, with all these changes, uh, Texans fans, I think, can expect them to be better. I think Crawford's got a chance to really compete at that nickel spot, maybe. And that's going to be a guy to watch during training camp. There's so many different possibilities back there. Look, you know, they, they threw a lot at that position group. I mean, the, the entire back end. So, let's just see how it works out. He's 5'11", 187. He started at Oregon State. He was a member of Pac-12's all-freshman team. 2017, his season ended about halfway through with a back injury, and his coach was fired. And I don't know if he went to Central Michigan. I'm not sure why Xavier Crawford went to Central Michigan, but he started in their corners last year, Sean Bunting, a second-round pick. Mm -hmm. And uh, with Crawford there, I think you had three guys who are contenders right now in the slot. Aaron Colvin, who was a disappointment last year but was really good as a slot corner with Jacksonville, if he's healthy, he should bounce back. We we talk about how young guys make their biggest improvement between first and second years because they learn how to be pros. Sometimes a veteran free agent will go to another team, and he'll need that year to adjust for whether it's scheme, coaches, whatever – and so you would expect Colvin to bounce back because he was really good as a slot corner. And one of the reasons they got him here is he wanted a chance to start outside. And so if he comes in and he's just a slot corner, you have Brian Body Calhoun, who was a slot corner in Cleveland, also helped with some dime safety. Then you have Xavier Crawford, who ran a four four eight and uh, is smart, mm-hmm. already had his degree. He was a graduate transfer. So – they got some smart – they like smart players, good people, smart players who fit what Bill O'Brien and Brian Gain and Cal McNair and Janice McNair are trying to build here, an organization that 
you have the intangibles. And then if you stay relatively healthy, you have a chance to win. They're going to need all these against the schedule. John, I'm putting you on the spot right now. Pick the most impactful undrafted free agent that they've picked up. Allegedly, because they haven't released the names yet, but we know who they are. Okay, uh, I ran that list uh, the night of the draft, and the one considering needs, like, you know, this team doesn't need a third. They don't need a running back to start. But you need a running back who could come in and catch Mm -hmm. and be a change of pace back maybe. You know, Lamar Miller missed two and a half games. Foreman came back in good shape, but he wasn't able to do anything last year. So the running back from Michigan, I can't remember. Ron Higdon. Yeah. He's one that I would think he or the guy from Missouri Crockett have a chance to step in and, and win that third role, but they got to be able to play special teams. They All those undra- undrafted guys, and really the rookies, other than the tackles, and they have to be able to contribute on special teams. And last year, Brad Seeley came in and he turned what had been a detriment into an impactful unit in which they improved in six special teams categories and ranked first or second in three of the key ones. And one of the reasons is they got an eye on special teams when they make these personnel decisions. Well, they they hope they can contribute. And it's always a good point to bring up that sometimes the star college guy doesn't play a lot of special teams sometimes, and maybe it's often, and you got to coach them up in the NFL to do that and embrace the role. And in fact, when you look at the Texans' success on special teams last year, you look at guys like A.J. Moore and Buddy Howell and guys who were not around during last offseason and rose to the occasion for Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien. So it'll be interesting to see who develops here. Uh, Crockett, by the way, runs a 4-4, so that's interesting to me. Johnny Dixon, the wide receiver from Ohio State, I'm really curious to see what he can bring. I know he's a rookie and everything, and Vincent Smith looked good as a rookie uh, in the offseason, preseason, and often it takes a while to develop to get some playing time. But they need insurance at wide receiver. We all know that with the injury situation. And keep an eye on Jester for was a yeah. free agent from Pitt last year, made the practice squad. And actually, I thought coming out of camp, if they kept one, they would keep him over Vincent Smith, but they kept Vincent. Those guys ought to make improvement. And the thing about Johnny Dixon, you know, this I hate to say this name because people over the next few years are going to be hearing about it more than they want, Paris Campbell. Yep. Paris Campbell, six foot two oh five, ran a four three one. Yeah, I'm getting nauseous. Yep, yeah, plays for the Colts. Gonna yeah, be out there with T. Y. Hilton. I'm going to throw up. So Dixon took a back seat to Campbell, who was a second second round pick. Mm-hmm. And but Dixon is playing playing with Dwayne Haskins. He did really well, and he's fast, and he's got good enough size. He could come in here and surprise a lot of people. And I think they gave Texans. To you today, you don't want to be a seventh round pick. You want to be an undrafted free agent with options because then you can get more money. Didn't Buffalo pay Tyree Jackson, a quarterback, $70,000 to sign with them as an undrafted quarterback? It, yeah, you get a little bonus sometimes. So you get it's recruited. better than being a seventh round mm-hmm. pick when you got to take the leftovers, like the scraps on the table financially. And, and uh, so. I know they're fired up about these guys. They got them quick, which meant they had their scouts working on them ahead of time. You know, you start calling these agents about the fifth round and say, we love your guy. And then they're going, well, if you love him, you draft him. But we might need another position. But just mm-hmm. keep us in mind. And I think because of their success rate here with undrafted free agents, agents know it's a good place to go. Absolutely. All right, a couple of other draft choices to get to here. And let's go in reverse here. Cullen Gillespie, the Aggie I love Gig this. Em. 
I love this pick because of all the off-field stuff so far. And I, and the on-field stuff he did in college, great special teams player, blocked a couple of punts, blocked that punt against Alabama. You know, he can catch the ball too a little bit. This could be really interesting, and it's certainly going to be fun to follow in the preseason. We'll see where it goes. Brian Gain made sure that he satisfied the two biggest fan bases in Houston, the Longhorns in the fifth round with Charles Minihu might be able to help him with the pass rush. And then with Colin Gillespie, the first 12th man to be scored touchdown in A&M, first 12th man to be drafted. And what I loved was the video in which he stood up and he screamed at his draft party, and then he sobbed like a baby with his dad yeah. consoling him. Don't they wish every time they selected a player, he screamed and then sobbed like a baby? So as soon as he gets out here, because he's 6'1", 235, he ran a four fives at the Aggies Pro Day, he was a fullback, a tight end, a linebacker, and special teams. They designated him as a fullback, which means he couldn't get the number 12. But they gave him the number 44, and maybe they thought about this, but I'm guessing they didn't. The Aggies' first Heisman winner, former athletic director, mm. number one pick in the draft, John David Crow wore 44. And so he's going to be – you know how fans love players that charge down the field? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem is – you can do it. You can't do it like you used to on kickoff teams anymore. When Spencer Tillman was a rookie in '87, and really Spencer, he made his living with the Oilers, 49ers, and then the Oilers, charging down the field as a wedge and breaking up kicks and all. And I could see Gillespie doing that too. People are going to love him because he's going to come in with a fan base. He's the media knows who he is. I can't wait to meet the kid, and uh, we'll see him next weekend and. Maybe Bill's going to incorporate a fullback again. Who knows? But he didn't get drafted in the seventh round to play fullback. He got it to run down the field and make tackles. John McClain is with us. John hinted at some other AFC South action in the draft. I know we've been talking a lot about that, but we'll get his spin on things and also his take on the Game of Thrones battle and how it applies to the NFL. The Game of Thrones. Yeah, somehow we can make this work. I believe we can. No doubt it's Texans Radio. The General hangs around with us in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. It's Texans All Access. John McClain with us, Mark Vandermeer with you, and let's rock here. Now, the General tweeted something out today that the Lions are coming here. We all know that week two of the preseason, but there's going to be more activity than previously thought, maybe. Well, I'm I'm like you. I'm real fired up about going to Green Bay, spending some time at the Cathedral because you've got the joint practices against the Packers before the game. And then we figured that with Matt Patricia, former Patriot coach for the Lions, they might do it, and they are. They're going to have joint practices here against the Lions before they play the August 17th preseason. And I, I'm sure you're like me. I'd Give me a joint practice any day of the week oh. over practicing against each other, yeah. especially the individual drills. I love Watt going up against – uh, off defensive ends and watching them be in awe and Clowney going, although I don't think Clowney will be here, but I think that's going to be great. You get the Packers and you get the Lions and, and you get probably four joint practices. That's going to be great. It will be, and it'll be a little warm, but the Lions will just have to get over it. That's just the way it is. Too I, bad. I'm looking forward to Green Bay, John, because I think of all the NFL cities – that's the one that plays in the most authentic NFL city, really. I know you could say the Bears, of course, but you get lost in the city of Chicago. Green Bay, you feel like it's all about the Packers and, and the way they've set up their building and their facility. It's great for the fans, great for anybody who goes up there. And the pa- practices will be packed. 
Oh, absolutely. And the museum, the Packers Museum. And, by the way, congratulations to longtime Oilers linebacker special teams captain Ted Thompson, who is about to be inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame. A lot of his former teammates from the Oilers are going, all the people from around the league that used to work for him and became general manager. Ted uh, retired, moved back to his hometown of Atlanta, Texas, which is up close to Texarkana. His dad is still alive. So Ted lives there, and he'll be honored by the Packers, and it's a a great deal for him. And I can't wait to go up there. I thought first time I went to the Cheese League covering the NFL, I couldn't wait to get up there and get some cooler weather. Mm -hmm. My goodness, Mark, it was hot up there. Oh, really? It it could be. It was was not just hot, but it was more humidity. And I'm like, if I want humidity, I'll go back home. It does happen up there. I lived in Michigan, same kind of latitude for – four years and it can't you can get a heat wave up there and it'll knock you out because they're just not used to it there are a lot of places that just don't have the right kind of air conditioning (laughs) they're just not used to it they've got heat up there believe me but uh, you can get the heat wave the greatest tradition in the nfl is the packers training camp when jj did this when he was a little kid and they come up from pewaukee and in which the kids have their bicycles, and yeah. when the players are walking across the parking lot, the kids give them their little bicycles, and the players get on those bicycles and ride them, and they give the kids the shoulder pads, the helmets, and they walk along with them, and that's such an incredible tradition. You know, I Watt's going to do that. It. Oh, of course he will. The cameras. Can you imagine what the contingent of cameras is going to be like? He's going to steal the show. He'll steal the show up there from air. air. I think because he's given a commencement address and because yeah. he's big up there and he loves Wisconsin. I'm not saying he's going to steal the spotlight from Aaron Rodgers, but he's going to steal it from every other Packer. Well, and he'll be big deal because the media up there will have been writing about the Packers. So they'll be – Watt's going to get a lot of attention. And nobody knows how to handle it better than J.J. Well, getting less attention, but still significant in his personal life, Max Sharping's from Wisconsin. So this he is, is cool he's for from him. Green Bay, mm-hmm. and he couldn't get Wisconsin to give him a scholarship just like Watt couldn't. So he went to northern Illinois, which is 236 miles. I looked it up. You did. Very good. If you had pulled that right out of the top of your head, I would say you're John Harris or something. <laughs> okay. I'm not a John Harris, I can tell you that. Rest of the AFC South, John, we've been talking about it this week. Who did the best? I think any – well, first of all, Jacksonville got the equivalent of two first-round picks. They didn't know Josh Allen, the defensive end, was going to drop down to them. Yeah. Think about this. This is why you need tackles. And Yannick Ngakwe Ngakwe is going to be rushing on one end. Josh Allen's going to be rushing on the other. Calais Campbell's going to be rushing from the inside – along with last year's number one pick, Taven Bryan, or former number one pick, Marcel Darius. So that's that's your t- defensive line from Jacksonville. Juwan Taylor, I had him mocked to them with a seventh pick in half my mock drafts. Jungler Williams was the rest. Then he falls into their laps in the second round. After that, I wasn't that impressed. They got a tight end in the third round named Josh Oliver. They need a tight end. But having Allen and Taylor is like having two number ones. The Colts, Chris Ballard traded you know, out of the first round. He had three picks in the second round, beginning with corner Rocky Yassin. I thought there was a chance. I knew he would never come here because he wasn't going to be available when they picked, but he would have been a really good fit. I thought the Colts had another real good draft. Paris Campbell, we mentioned earlier, 4-3-1 out there with T.Y. Hilton. Yeah. 
that's going to make even more trouble for defensive backs. And the Titans took a heck of a chance on a player, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, who would have been a top ten pick, maybe the second or third defensive tackle if he hadn't blown out his ACL preparing for the uh, combine. And he had in high school, the video, ESPN showed this over and over, but they didn't do anything the first night on uh, Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. And so they showed this. Simmons' sister was in a fight. He broke it up. He got a woman on the ground. Instead of walking away, he hit punched her three or four times. Oh, God. But at Mississippi State, everybody said he was exemplary. He's apologized a million times. And I always think guys deserve a second chance. Now, I don't think they deserve a third one like Tyree Kill would get. But uh, I thought Simmons was a great pick, but he's probably not going to play till 2020. And uh, they – I thought the Titans had a pretty good draft, and I thought Cleveland, I mean, Indianapolis had a really good one in the second round, and Jacksonville had two good picks in the first two rounds. Well, you never know until you know. No, you don't. You mentioned Jacksonville. It is impressive when you throw Nick Foles on top of all that and the fact that they had a really good defense last year, and some of their wins were impressive. Let's face it. You beat the Colts 6-0. You beat the Patriots soundly. I mean, I know they didn't have a bunch of wins, but the ones they got among the ones they got were pretty good. So let's just see what they do this year. I think it's the best division in football. I think it's best top to bottom, toughest, most competitive. And Jacksonville last year, which had a lot of internal problems, Milton Verge been imploding. They got three of their best players in Galway and uh, Jalen Ramsey and Telvin Smith. None of them are at the offseason program because they all want. Well, Ramsey not looking for more money. He's just being obstinate, working out in Nashville where he's from with his dad's facility. But it's like the Texans have everybody but Clowney. Clowney didn't sign, so we all knew he wasn't going to be here. But I think it's a bad look when Odell Beckham Jr. and Le'Veon Bell, it's not going to have anything to do once the season starts. But to me, if you get all that money and it's such a big deal that you're there, you ought to be there helping lead the team, setting an example. What else do you have to do, really? This is your life. Like with the they Jags. say they're working out. They're just not working out with their team. Well, why not? Especially uh, when you're a new player. And, John, it's not like you're there 10 hours a day this time of year. No, you know, it's a few hours not. a day. You're with the guys. Why wouldn't you want to be there? And, you can, you know, it's only four or five days a week, depending on the week. I mean, when I look at Jalen Ramsey and Yannick Ngakwe not being with the Jaguars, I'm thinking, good. All right, I hope they have dissension. I hope it, it's all a big meltdown for them. Not that I like bad things to happen to Texans opponents. Not that I like that or anything. Not really bad, just a little bit bad on the field. You were the, you remember last year when you were saying all those ugly things about Andrew <laughs> Luck not coming back and all that? I wasn't ugly to Andrew. No, I, I recommended we were, that he retire for his own safety. Yes. And, and I still do. And he didn't take your advice, no, he of didn't. course. Uh, I'll tell you something that, uh, and I think I've said this or written it a couple times. Mm-hmm. If Tom Coughlin pulls the plug on Doug Marone, most people think Doug Marone is if he doesn't get the playoffs, he's going to be gone. Because last year they were a huge disappointment. Playoffs, really? I think nine and seven would be great, considering and, where they were. But go on. And then there's rumors mm-hmm. that I've heard oh, that I've said this that uh, that Coughlin would be interested in hiring Matt Rule, oh. Matt who interviewed with the Jets and interviewed with the Colts the year before, and. He, his one year in the NFL was working for Coughlin with the Giants, but I'm heard that Coughlin's real high on him. And as a Baylor fan, I wouldn't like that. I'd wish him the best, but that's something I'm going to keep a close eye on just for that reason. I'm sure you will. 
Okay, some other things to get to today regarding the National Football League. The draft grades, John, and I went back a few years to look at your grades. Now, I know the Texans have been graded poorly by some with this draft. I don't even care about that. Of some course, people gave them good drafts, too. But, of course, grades, if they were getting all A's, I'd be shouting it from a rooftop, so I don't know how, what to say about that. But you're a pretty tough grader historically on a lot of teams. You know, I, I went back two years. You gave a lot of teams C's, and I applaud you for that because some of these guys – I wish I had professors like them because I forget who it was. Some Arizona had a good grade on their draft last year. You know, oh, you drafted Rosen and the other guys they drafted A. Well, apparently it didn't work out for them on the field. Not that one draft is going to make all the difference. If Kimes really been drafting that well, they should really come around very quickly here. I know it's a tough division, but you should win more than you won last year. I gave the Texans a B minus, and the reason is I didn't have Howard going in the first round, and I didn't have Sharping go. I had Howard in second, and Sharping's third, so I can't all of a sudden give him a better grade when I didn't have those guys going in the first right. round. I did have Tyus Howard going in the first round a couple of my early mock drafts. But how about this? You had Chad Ford probably going in round one. Right? I had him going in round one. He and he and Taylor, John Taylor, mm-hmm. Greedy Williams. I had them going first round and all 12. And they all drop drafts. out, and, and that's all the teams. And they let them go, it, which proves to be one thing. Yeah, the teams don't draft perfectly. That is clear. But they have access to way more information than you or me or any draft blogger or whatever, obviously. Uh, Bill Poley, and I was listening to him the day after the first round, and I respect Bill's in the Hall of Fame because yeah. of his personnel acumen, and he, he was praising Titus Howard. He was talking about seeing him at the Pro Bowl, how well he did – he thought it was a good pick, and he also senior pointed bowl, out yeah. senior bowl. He also pointed out something I've always believed. Bill Walsh used to say, "It doesn't matter where, when you draft them; it's how they play. Just give them, give them, be patient with them." Mm-hmm. And he said something I thought was very interesting, and I don't know if I agree with it or not. He said, "Even the best uh, so-called expert in the media," and he said, "I'm counting ex-players and general managers only have about forty percent." of the knowledge and information that people with teams have. It's because they don't have access to all that like mm-hmm. they did if they're a former general manager and you're on ESPN or the NFL Network. You don't have the same access as you did. And he said mistakes are made, of course, but it's not because you don't have information. And uh, I thought that was very interesting because I know I certainly didn't. I didn't see Max Sharping play. I didn't see Titus Howard play. You know, I was yeah. going by everything I read or heard from people I trusted. And I thought that was just very interesting. And I'd say that's probably true. All right, John, a couple of minutes left here. And Game of Thrones was on Sunday. It's on every Sunday for the six week period as they go out three gracefully. More left. Yeah, so. That was a big battle, you know, and just like we're used to watching games, you know what else I'm used to watching? Since Lord of the Rings, really, in this modern-ish era of cinema, I've seen a lot of battles, just like I've seen a lot of games, I've seen a lot of battles with archers and a castle, and you're protecting a castle, and the bad guys are trying to climb the wall. I mean, how many times have we seen this in cinema in the last 20 years? A ton, am I right? Of course. A ton. So we saw it again on Sunday night. By the way, spoiler alert, probably some spoilers will get out here, so if you haven't seen the the last episode then maybe sort of starts well, singing. Well, let me just tell you something. Yeah. This was the Battle of, Winter, of Winterfell. Right. Uh, and I thought, and I've watched it three times, and the reason oh is gosh. because it was filmed at night over yeah. 55 days. It mm-hmm. was cold. It was snowing. And it's it's dark. Yeah. The, the cinematographer and the director wanted us to be confused 
about what we oh, were seeing. Oh, they did a good job of that. Because they thought the people there, they wanted us to see how mm-hmm. they were. And, like, it's hard when it's dark when somebody gets killed, a good guy, and then he raises up and joins the Army of the Dead. And, That's and, so unfair. And becomes a White Walker. And so I've watched it, and the cinematographer said in an interview, I saw, well, people don't know how to adjust their brightness anymore that's bs because the director said we wanted it to be confusing adjust the brightness what am i with a 1978 zenith <laughs> back in my shag carpeting <laughs> living room with my parents like adjust the brightness the I, horizontal hold don't forget the contrast i forgot the horizontal i mean do, do tvs have horizontal i don't know anymore? i'm gonna but go you know look. what i'm talking about it's when you the frame used to keep going like people a little more seasoned are Totally understanding what I'm talking about. How about in college, the TV I had with a hanger stuck in the top of it as the antenna, and we had to turn the channel with a fork. I was talking to a friend of mine today about this, and I said, I don't even know if my TV's got a brightness on it. He said, your remote under menu adjusts. Oh, yeah, it has has all that. But you don't have to touch it. It's default. It's fine. So I thought some of the scenes on there (laughs) were great. I thought the music, when you listen to the music, the music was perfect for the suspense, mm-hmm. and the scenes in particular that I thought were great was the one where Melisandre lit the one, the site that the Dothraki yeah. used, and then it lit Jeez, all of them You know the names up. and everything. And you then, mean the witch woman and person. And then when Arya was inside the <laughs> tombs, and it was like the Velociraptors in uh, Jurassic Park trying to dodge the White Walkers oh, in there. Yeah. I thought that was a great scene when the when they were all down in the crypt hiding and all of a sudden Yeah, oh, we know what happened. The Night King raised mm. the dead and the yep. hands started coming out of the coffins where they you were. You knew that was coming too. Well, how about the the ringer was talking about Jordan with the the switching the hand switching the uh the ball hand to hand and Arya's big moment in the show. I thought that was great. Well, I, I mean, watched her practice that in a video. No. Where she practiced that with Bran of Tarth in which they're out there in their yoga outfits, and Brienne is swinging at her, and she's whipping it back between right and left hand, and she was even flipping it like a baton. Wait, wait, this is a video of the actresses? or Practicing. Oh, interesting. It's like in some room they're practicing. Interesting. Well, that was your Game of Thrones update for today. John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle? I've got a column going Sunday about the Texans. On Monday, I'll go out to their annual charity golf tournament and write about that, and uh, I've got a... Podcast. We have a podcast posted today, and I'll have a mailbag posted in the morning. Thank you very much for asking. Thank you, John. And tomorrow we'll be back on at 6. John Harris and myself will bring it to you. And we're going to rerun our draft special Saturday night, 11 o'clock on ABC 13. Check it out. Check out HoustonTexans.com for all the videos, all the articles, all the info on your Houston Texans. Have a great night, and go Texans.